Hello and welcome to the February Review Show on Crime Time FM. I'm Paul Burke and I write about crime fiction. And I can only tell you I've had a really good time reviewing the books this month. So expect some good reads, but some great reads as well. And there's plenty of choice, so fill your boots. Let's kick off with a police procedural. Every Trick in the Book by Bernard O'Keefe. Not a London novel so much as a Barnes novel. This is set in the affluent South London enclave inhabited by citizens blessed with wealth and privilege. Privilege that former public school teacher O'Keefe enjoys poking a little fun at. And D.I. Garibaldi is his weapon of choice. Honestly, I wasn't sure about Garibaldi in the first book, but I've grown to like him a lot. I think I've come to appreciate the subtlety more. In the third in the series, we see local author Ben Joseph meet a grisly end, strangled and dumped in the reeds of Barnes Pond after a party. The question is, is this a case of life imitating art, as the crime mirrors the murder of public school teacher Alex Ballantyne in Joseph's novel Schooled in Murder? It doesn't take Garibaldi long to find out that Joseph was disliked by the neighbours, colleagues and ex-pupils alike, and hidden tensions surface as Garibaldi uncovers blackmail. Is that possibly the motive for murder? O'Keefe has a lot of fun with the idea of the novel within the novel. This is a decent read, perfect for fans who like to solve the puzzle within the mystery. Of course there's a clutch of clues and red herrings, a few nifty twists and turns, and literary references are plenty. Published by Muswell Press in paperback, and available now. And the first of our elevator pitches now, as I ask author Lynn McEwen to tell us a little bit about her latest novel, The Gathering Storm. I'm Lynn McEwen, author of the best-selling D.I. Shona Oliver series, set on Scotland's beautiful Solway Firth. And my latest novel, The Gathering Storm, published by Canelo, is out now. In The Gathering Storm, Shona's past and present collide when James McGowan, her ex-classmate, now a famous actor, arrives on an isolated island to make a Robert Burns biopic. But when a dead man wearing James's coat is found on the beach in suspicious circumstances, it seems someone wants him out of the picture. Meanwhile, Shona's husband is on trial for a crime he claims he did not commit, but speaking out risks his wife and their teenage daughter coming to harm. Can Shona keep her head above the waves, protect those around her and find the killer? The Gathering Storm is a compulsive, atmospheric crime thriller, and if you like authors Val McDermott, Anne Cleves and Neil Lancaster, I think you'll love it. Thank you, Lynn. Isn't it incredible how much authors manage to get into that one minute? I really love setting this challenge. And of course it does mean I can put a couple of extra books out there for your perusal. I want to say a quick word now for a classic reprint. Among the very best of American noir. The Essential Harlem Detectives. Four novels by Chester Himes. A new hardback edition from Everyman Library. With a new introduction by one of today's hottest writers, S.A. Cosby. A £20, which is a fiver a novel. That has to be a bargain. So we have... A Rage in Harlem, The Real Cool Killers, Crazy Kill, and Cotton Comes to Harlem. Detectives Gravedigger Jones and Coffin Ed Johnson, the baddest men in town, are, I think, as important and memorable as Marlowe and Spade, Lou Archer or Travis McGee. Cosby rightly notes that Himes deserves mention with Ralph Ellison and Richard Wright, and Hemingway and Fitzgerald, for that matter, as a great American writer. Without him, there's no Cosby for a start. No Easy Rawlings, no Shaft, or any of a host of great African-American writers we come to love. And just like Hammett and Chandler and Ross MacDonald, Chester Himes moved crime writing forward and brought us a brilliant new perspective on crime fiction 
and society in America. Himes's novel explores the experience of poor people, of the dispossessed, the downtrodden, the cheated and the abused, and particularly that of African Americans. The writing is poetic, surreal, blisteringly insightful of society and human nature. If you don't know Himes, this really is where to start. So a change of pace now as we head to Australia for a modern police procedural. This is Taken by Danuka McKenzie. I first picked up on Danuka McKenzie, the Australian author of Sri Lankan descent, when I read her story Skin Deep in Craig Sisterson's collection, Dark Deeds Down Under. And by the way, I think Craig is deep into editing a second anthology right now. And then there was last year's Detective Kate Mills opener, The Torrent. Now we have Taken, and D.S. Kate Mills has returned from maternity leave and the pressure of work and looking after her second young child is compounded by her husband losing his job. To add to that, a corruption scandal threatens to engulf her father, and an infant goes missing, and Kate gets the case. Kate senses something is going on within the baby's family, but it's not going to be easy to get them to open up. The press are putting pressure on the force for answers, and naturally, Kate's boss is happy to pass the flak and any repercussions onto her. Kate is a character you can get behind, empathise with in her struggles, at work and at home. She's resourceful, and certainly way more emotionally intelligent than her colleagues. Kate is a modern detective, and one to watch. An authentic small-town setting, and local issue, and a fresh take on a domestic crime scenario, make this a really interesting read. Published in paperback by Canelo, and out now. An absolute gem of a read now. Has anyone seen Charlotte Salter? by Nicky French, the husband and wife pairing of Nicky Gerard and Sean French. I think they now have 25 books to their name. Set over two timelines, 1990 and now, this is the story of how a crime blights two families over 30 years. And in some ways, a disappearance is even more unsettling than murder. So 1990, Charlotte Salter, that's Charlie, is well-loved. She's charismatic and beautiful. But when her husband Alex's 50th birthday party kicks off, Charlie doesn't turn up. Alec doesn't seem all that bothered. On the other hand, her children, Etty, Niall, Paul and Ollie, are worried. Eventually, they report her missing. The police find nothing. And as Charlie never returns, the family struggle to come to terms with her disappearance and get on with their lives. In the present, Alec is now in a home, suffering from dementia. He often confuses Etty for her mother, Charlie, and some of the things he says trouble her deeply. Meanwhile, Greg and Morgan Ackerley Long-term neighbours and friends of the family have their own family demons to deal with. But they also decide to look into the Salter mystery, something that's very personal to them too. They do a podcast on Charlie's vanishing. Dark secrets soon out. And it's possible that the truth behind Charlotte Salter's disappearance will finally emerge, engulfing everyone. As an anatomy of a crime, of family relationships and the deep trauma that this kind of crime can cause, this is both insightful and moving. Brilliantly told and totally engaging. The real tragedy of this all-too-plausible crime infuses this novel. It's poignant and gripping. I have nothing but admiration for the craft of the author. This is a read that will keep you spellbound. Published by Simon & Schuster in hardback on the 29th of February. Every Smile You Fake by Dorothy Coombson is imaginative and intriguing. Kes Lanyon is a profiler and psychotherapist. She's at a book event in Shoreham with a local author. Remy Hayford, and the same old, same old crops up. Another misogynist in the audience questions her experience and her knowledge, and then he confronts her in the car park afterwards, 
But that's not the scariest part of the night. In the back of Kez's car is a baby. And there's a note that reads, Please take care of my baby, but don't try to find me. You'll put him in danger. Kez is pretty sure she knows who the mother is. Her client Brandy, a social media celeb with a troubled past. And Brandy has been off-grid for a few months. Has something awful happened in her life? Kez is reluctant to go to the police. And she could wait, but she begins to look into Brandy's past. A childhood kidnapping, dodgy relationships. And it all leads to some dark places. Kez puts her own life on the line to find Brandy. She's desperate to help her with whatever is going on. Coombson reflects on love and family, the depths of male entitlement and misogyny, in a tale that has plenty of twists and reveals, and flips the narrative more than once. It's inventive and entertaining. Out in hardback from Headline Review, and available now. The Descent by Paul E. Hardesty, a cutting-edge environmental thriller. If you read Paul E. Hardesty's last novel, The Forcing, about a post-apocalyptic world, you'll know one of the central questions is why previous generations let catastrophe happen. As an environmental scientist, Hardesty created an all-too-credible future landscape, and despite the dystopian nature of the novel, he does firmly believe we can do something about climate change. The Descent is a prequel that actually looks into how environmental collapse, the destruction of our world, came about in his first novel. Quaco Ashworth was born to parents fleeing a devastated America, and a concentration camp set up for the oldies who caused the environmental destruction in the first place. Read the forcing if you want to know more. They were in search of peace and a place of safety in the southern hemisphere, the Pacific Ocean. Now grown up, Quaco has his dead stepfather's manuscript, The Forcing, which talks of the disaster. However, his mother steadfastly refuses to tell him any more. In fact, he knows she's lying to him about the past. Kweku sets out with his young family to find answers. They'll face dangers along the way and find some uncomfortable truths about humanity. Hardesty points out how quickly society collapses and asks questions about how we hang on to hope. Not just how we survive, but how we retain our humanity. This is a visceral and engaging dystopian vision of the future. It's insightful, and I have to say, terrifyingly realistic. Published in paperback by Arenda Books. And next up is Vicki Wakefield, who's going to tell us about her new novel, To the River. To the River is a story about two very different women who make a deadly bargain to form an uneasy alliance. Rachel Wiedemann, a university-educated journalist with unquestionable principles, and Sabine Kelly, an undereducated but cunning young woman, an alleged murderer with a past full of violence and neglect. For Rachel, it's a straightforward exchange. She will protect Sabine's identity as a source and Sabine will be given the chance to tell her side of the caravan murder story before turning herself in. For Sabine, it's an ultimatum. And after 12 years of navigating every bend and backwater, she knows the river and she knows Rachel is deathly afraid of it. Both women have their motives. Both say they want the truth. But someone doesn't want this story to be told. Rachel's ambition lights the fuse leading to a brutal chain of events. And Sabine Kelly will weave a web that forces Rachel to question everything she believes about truth and justice. Too late, Rachel is beginning to realise that it can be dangerous to corner a wild animal, leaving it no way out. I'm Vicky Wakefield and I hope you enjoy reading To the River.
Thank you, Vicky. To the River is published in hardback by No Exit Press. It's available on the 14th of March. And still world hopping, we have Point Zero by Seishiro Matsumoto, translated by Louise Hill Kawai, set in Japan ten years after the Second World War. There's nothing that's quite like the way the best Japanese crime writers have adapted Golden Age crime to fit their own culture and circumstance. And one of the best is Matsumoto. Penguin Classics' new edition of Tokyo Express was one of the most elegant and beautifully written mystery novels of last year. And now, Bitter Lemon Press bring us this fresh translation of the 1959 novel Point Zero, and it's another masterpiece. Teiko Itani decides to use a matchmaker to find herself a husband, and she's pleased with Kanishi Uhara, who's ten years her senior. Then shortly after the honeymoon, Kanichi leaves on business and disappears. Teiko turns detective heading for the city of Kanazawa to find him. When Kanishi's brother comes to help her, he's murdered. Kanishi's disappearance is connected to the women working as prostitutes after the war, catering to the American GIs, women known as the Pan Pan Girls. Needs must, but ten years on, it's not something either the society or the people involved want to remember, and some people will go to any lengths to keep that past hidden. Matsumoto's writing is elegant and engaging. It's a social critique that is richly entertaining as mystery fiction. Teiko is an unforgettable character, and of course an early female detective. Matsumoto is Japan's best-selling crime writer, and that's for a very good reason. He is simply brilliant. Published in paperback by Bitter Lemon Press and available now. And much as I would champion Chester Himes, I would certainly urge you to buy Matsumoto too, when it comes to picking up on the classics. Iceland now, for The Dancer by Oscar Goodmanson, translated by Quentin Bates. Some of you may remember 2021's English debut by Goodmanson, The Commandments, a hard-hitting novel about sexual abuse within the church. Now comes The Dancer, the first in a new series. Goodmanson's ever-visceral style sets new standards for chilling murder mysteries from Iceland. The novel opens with a man tied to a chair, as his would-be killer dances naked before him. Tony is a young man tormented by his mother, a thwarted dancer come alcoholic who tries to live vicariously through her son. Tony trains to be a dancer. The regime his mother sets him is cruel, and failure is punished brutally. Needless to say, Tony grows up damaged. As an adult, he has no luck in life. He's shy, and he sees everyone as against him from the beginning, or turning against him. When a body turns up, Two Reykjavik cops, a veteran, Vladimir, and his junior, the newbie, Ilfa, get the case. The murder confounds expectations, but what we do know is a dangerous killer is on the loose, and unless they stop him, this won't be the end of it. The detective pairing, the old hand and the learner, works very well. The novel is tense and poignant. Goodmanson has this direct, kind of pithy style, and yet his character portraits are rounded, psychologically authentic. It's a story, really, of what parents do to their children and how killers, we call monsters, can be made. Despite the profound darkness, this is a compassionate tale with real emotional depth. Perhaps not so much a mystery as an exploration of a crime, an exploration of the why. Published in paperback by Coralus Books. Another novel in translation, this time from Sweden, northern Sweden, in fact. Deep Harbour by Tuva Alstadal. It's the third Ira Shurdin novel. 
and is translated by Alice Menzies. Or should that be Ming? Apologies if I got it wrong anyway. In series fiction, we come back for the characters, and I'm already sold on Ira Shoidin, so I'm very pleased she's back. As the winter ice melts, divers are searching an old wreck on the Ongoman River. It's not uncommon for wrecks from the Baltic Sea to wash up here. The human remains, however, found on the wreck are far more recent. Ira is pregnant, and she doesn't know what that means for her yet. And given that she's been in on-off relationships with two men, she's not sure who the father is either, and she's not willing to share that fact with either possible dad. Not yet, anyway, and that's a further complication in her life. There are ongoing issues with her mother's Alzheimer's, and things get really tough when she takes on the murder investigation, which points her towards her own family. She has no idea just how explosive the ramifications of this case are going to be. This new mystery can be read as a standalone, but it interweaves very nicely with the previous two novels. It's very skillfully done, and reading all three is a far more satisfying experience. It's an intriguing mystery, and the developments in Aira's life remain engaging. A novel that veers towards the literary to very good effect. Published in paperback by Faber, and available now. The Lagos Wife by Vanessa Walters is an original novel that's gripping from the start as it begs questions you need answers to. And as the title suggests, it's set in Nigeria. Walters is a journalist, playwright and children's author, born in London, currently living in New York. And on this evidence, I'd love her to write more crime fiction. Nicole Druari has moved from London to Lagos to begin a new life in the exclusive Lagos Lagoon community as a Niger wife to new husband, Tony. Then, a few months later, Nicole disappears. Tony appeared to be the perfect husband, but Nicole's aunt Claudette smells a rat. She flies to Lagos to investigate for herself. This is told from the perspective of Nicole in the run-up to the disappearance, and Claudette after. It's a novel steeped in suspense. What really did happen to Nicole? Claudette soon finds things she doesn't like, but the truth is complex. There's an authentic setting, rich in lifestyle, and superbly drawn characters make the Lagos wife both gripping and atmospheric. The mystery has more to it than you might imagine, and this is about family and identity, and what we really know of the other people around us, of marriage, cultural isolation, and generational trauma. Social issues all examined forensically, but very skillfully within the context of the narrative drive. The denouement, which makes perfect sense, is shocking and it has a way of knocking you for six. Published in hardback by Hutchinson Heinemann and available on the 29th of February. Original Sins by Erin Young, a.k.a. Robin Young, is another police procedural, again reflecting on real life and the all-too-relevant misogyny in society. Hayley Abbott's friend can't make it, so she winds up jogging alongside the Des Moines River on her own, and she's viciously assaulted by a man with a bat. The question is, is she the victim of a serial attacker known as the Sin Eater, who's punishing women for their, quotation marks, transgressions, for not fitting the idea of the female role? which of course sadly mirrors a debate going on in America at the moment. Meanwhile, Riley Fisher is reporting to the local FBI office to begin her new job. Her first assignment is to find out who's threatening the newly elected female state governor. Riley is soon concerned about the man she's been paired with, her very experienced partner, whom she's really not sure she can trust. She also begins to suspect that the governor's safety and the attacks on women by the Sin Eater are connected. 
This is a novel about male entitlement, sexism and inequality, about misogynistic mindsets, from small microaggressions to discrimination to outright hatred and violence. Sadly, it all rings true. A relevant and thought-provoking read, published by Hodder in hardback and available on the 7th of March. Smoke Kings by Jamal Mayfield is an exceptional noir. It's right on point. Devastating and relevant, packing a powerful punch. The best crime fiction is social commentary and gripping storytelling, and this fits the mark. The novel opens with Nate Evers' cousin getting murdered. Everyone appears to say the right things around the family. But what use are words at a time like this? Nothing has improved since the racist murder of Emmett Till in the 1950s. Black African-American kids are still dying in the streets. What use vigils and prayers? Over the course of the novel, we find out what happened to Nate's cousin Darius, and how Nate and his friends decide to exact their own revenge by kidnapping and extracting reparations from the descendants of people who committed hate crimes, people who in the present have their own dubious attitudes and, and crimes to answer for. As the vigilantes figure out just how far they're prepared to go, they fall foul of a white supremacist gang. And, of course, there's the law chasing them, including a racist cop. This is a quietly angry novel about the inequality and prejudice in modern American society. It's about morality and justice versus vengeance. It's a proper thriller, and it will stay with you for a long time. It has great characters, and it should give everyone pause for thought. This is for fans of S.A. Cosby and Diamond Hard Noir that has that heart. Just makes you realise what a tragic waste of energy racism really is, as well as being evil and destructive. Published in paperback by Melville House. So 2024 sees the much-anticipated return of A.J. Finn with End of Story. Finn's last novel was the runaway success The Woman in the Window, and like that novel, this is an homage to Hitchcock. A mystery that has menace and twist that wouldn't be out of place in a Hitchcock movie, but also has a very modern feel. Best-selling mystery writer Sebastian Trapp says he has three months to live. He's invited long-term correspondent, the journalist Nicky Hunter, to come to his San Francisco mansion to write his story. Nicky, a crime fiction aficionado, accepts. The house is populated by Trapp, his distant wife and forthright daughter. The family give Nicky the chills from the moment she arrives. His biography is one thing, but most people think Trapp is a murderer. His first wife and son disappeared 20 years ago. The case was never solved. As Nicky begins to investigate the past, a body turns up in the koi pond in the present. This is one for fans of twisty, puzzling mysteries that echo with fictional references. Clever and craftily constructed, it's for the fans who like to figure things out. The game is afoot. Published in hardback on the 1st of March by HarperCollins. Rising Tide by Alan Bardos, published by Sharp Books, is an entertaining wartime spy story. Lieutenant Daniel Nichols, is wounded in an air raid on the Italian fleet at Taranto in November 1940. He winds up in naval intelligence. The Japanese are keen for information on the British attack on Taranto, and they're prepared to pay for Nichols' insight. Nichols and boss Ian Fleming, yes, that Ian Fleming, cook up a plot, sending him to Lisbon to, to find out why the Japanese want that information and what their intended target is. In order to do that, he will need to convince the Germans he is a traitor. When he finds answers, will he be believed? After all, 
it's in Britain's interest to have America come into the war. And others might ask the question, would the Japanese really dare to attack the Americans? Of course we know they would now. This is the opener for a series featuring Nichols. Interesting for its naval setting, certainly a less explored spy field in modern historical fiction. And her last elevator pitch, Marion Todd tells us all about Bridges to Burn. Hello, I'm Marion Todd, author of the detective Claire Mackay crime novels set in St Andrews. Bridges to Burn is the eighth book in the series, and it opens with the suicide of a teenage girl found hanged in the grounds of her school. But while Claire is dealing with this, there is a report of an elderly man being exploited. And when he too is found dead, she has to divide her resources between these two cases. The idea for the book came from wanting to write about criminals taking advantage of the vulnerable. As I explored this, I realised it's a risk at both ends of the age range. And while the two cases seem unconnected, links between them begin to emerge and Claire realises the investigation is far more complex than she'd first thought. Bridges to Burn is a Scottish crime novel, perfect for fans of Anne Cleves, Lynn Anderson and J.D. Kirk, and I hope it's as much fun to read as it was to write. Thank you, Marion. Published by Canelo in paperback. I haven't read this one yet, but I do enjoy Marion Todd's novels. And a collection of short stories to finish off. Nobody's Coming Home by Alex Cizak. There's no doubt that some of the best contemporary short stories come from indie publishers and regional writers who understand their territory and their people intimately and write the most innovative and heartfelt crime stories around. Cizak fits that bill. And Nobody's Coming Home is published in paperback by ABC Group Documentation. Thirteen stories set in Lake County, Indiana. In progress, a mother fearing she's leaving this world soon is worried about her adult son surviving on his own. She's trained him to clean up after himself. If the law catches up with him, they'll throw away the key. All I can say as a reader is, we need to pray they do. In Miscarriage, Officer Bob Cork is called to a crime in progress. A woman has a gun taped to her hand. The barrel taped inside the mouth of the man she blames for the killer of her daughter. A paedophile getting off. The lawyer, Dan Ritter. Cork doesn't recognise the woman at first, and all she says she wants is an apology. But an apology on TV. The authorities are reluctant to allow that. But what unfolds outside the local school will scar the community for decades. In polite society, Gilbert has been out of the loop for some time, his life going nowhere fast. When Dave offers him a job, he gets more than he ever bargained for and discovers that the past always has to be paid for. The bad girl. The bad girl's life is spiralling downwards. Can she take back control from the customers who ignore her, from the boyfriend wants to keep her in her place, from the drugs that numb the pain. Do you believe in happy endings? In Nasty Habits, a well-dressed man enters a bar. He's been told he can get anything for a price. Mitch agrees to connect him up with the procurer of children. How far has Mitch sunk? He drives himself and the punter to their destiny. And Last Exit Before Toll has a tragic kicker that gets you in the gut and is a truly powerful end to the collection. Sizak's characters are down on their luck. They're the outliers, the downtrodden, the warped. They inhabit a world of pain. They grift, they transgress, they survive. They try, they try hard, but they get it wrong. And ultimately, the shitstorm engulfs them. These are sharp portraits of broken lives. No varnish, it's all unsentimental. But it's not uncaring. 
powerful stories about the downside of the American dream. An impressive collection. Well, that's it for this month. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed the show, please rate and subscribe with your favourite podcast providers. And please forgive any butchering of foreign languages in this podcast. If you're interested in any of the books, take a look at the programme notes, and you'll see the titles and so on there. I'll be back with another review show next month, and in the meantime, the interview shows will carry on, of course. For now, goodbye.